Take our Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now turn to verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the beginning and the end of what one theologian described as the greatest chapter in the greatest book in the Bible. And while you might need to be careful with such language, We don't want to make it sound like the rest of it isn't good also. Even just reading the beginning and the end, we see that indeed Romans chapter 8 is a special chapter. It stands out as unique. It stands out as unique and and there are few other chapters quite like it in the rest of the Bible, at least in its entirety. And it certainly stands as a high watermark of the book of Romans. It's been variously described. The inner sanctuary within the cathedral of the Christian faith. One other commentator said this is the tree of life in the midst of the Garden of Eden. And another said this is the highest peak in a range of mountains. Now perhaps... That sounds a bit dramatic. Maybe we're overselling Romans chapter 8, but I think not. And in fact, there's no other passage that is more fitting. There could be passages as fitting, but there's no passage, I think, that is more fitting to the needs of the day than Romans chapter 8. I don't know if any of you have ever noticed this or experienced this, but life can be brutal. Anyone ever experienced that before? Life can come with untold challenges. Sometimes we know about them. Sometimes they take us unaware, by surprise. And we see these kinds of issues at every level of life on the planet. 
whether you're dealing with your own or you're aware of what's going on around you, there's just no doubt living this life brings profound challenges, profound pain, and suffering at times. Think about what's going on across the globe. You don't have to look too far before you see examples of unspeakable acts of violence being perpetrated against other human beings. And for those of us who are believers, we should be especially mindful that my guess is a lion's share of the atrocities being committed are being committed against our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. Of course, we don't have to go around the world to find suffering and evil, right? We find it in our own nation. Once again, we have experienced the breaking news of what is violence and evil, and we weep and mourn with moms and dads, friends, family in Florida. And all the while, the media and people try and explain it. It's been explained as being caused by anything from gun control issues to autism, but the truth is, evil lurks in the hearts of humanity. This is how it expresses itself. And what I think probably troubles us just as much is knowing this is not the last time there will be breaking news. It's not the last time this will happen. It's not the last time it will happen probably even this month. But we don't even have to go to other parts of our nation, right? We find challenges in our own lives, in the lives of our of our brothers and sisters in Christ in this church, of friends and family. You know, we could identify a number of people facing a variety of health issues. Many, many who are facing very critical situations. Some of you are here today. They're having gone through some very critical situations. We here know what it's like to struggle through the other circumstances of life. Trouble at home, relationship issues, burdens for our children, burdens for our parents, broken relationships, our own spiritual, emotional, mental pain and struggle through life's realities. Yeah, I don't need to explain, right? Brutal life can be. Romans 8 is the chapter that I believe comes to our rescue. Romans 8 is a chapter that does stand in, as, as being uniquely applicable to all of these things. Uh, Romans 8 is a helpful chapter because in Romans 8 we, we find Paul not downplaying the trouble and pain in this life, the reality of sin, the reality of temptation, the reality of suffering, the reality of insecurity, Paul's not ignoring this. Paul's not suggesting that we just need to put on a happy face and grin and bear it and get through it. Paul's not giving us platitude. He's not giving us simple and trite little sayings. Romans 8 is a profound wrestling with the trouble of life while at the same time coming once again to what may sound like a simple answer and solution, but nonetheless it is it. Paul reaffirms for us in this grand chapter 
that at the end of the day, the gospel is still the answer. That our greatest need is still Christ crucified and resurrected. And what Paul does in this chapter is then, then he not only continues to flesh out the beauty of the gospel and what it means for us as saved people, but also now showing the role of the Holy Spirit and, and how God, through the work of Christ and by the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit, brings the gospel to bear on every molecule of life so that you and I find ourselves in a place where we can have hope, assurance, perseverance, even at the same time that we may have hurt and suffering and pain and questions. I don't think I'm overselling Romans 8. In fact, you would do well, if you've not had a chance to do so, to spend time in Romans 8. You can never go wrong. If you have any issue in life, and you're wondering, where should I go to find some kind of guidance? My guess is something of Romans 8 will speak to whatever you're dealing with. You may not always like all of what it says in speaking to your situation, but nonetheless, Romans 8 will do this. And so, we begin our journey through Romans 8, and this is not going to be a quick journey. You know what this is? You know, you know what we do with Romans 8? And this, this is always a challenge because I'm about to reference food. And you're on the cusp, right? I mean, I can tell. I can sense it. Notes have already been passed about what your lunch plans are. All right? I, know, I can see everything from up here, okay? So I know that's already happened. Whispers have been made. Texts have been sent. I get it. Okay. So I may run the risk of losing all of you now for the rest of the time. Romans 8 is not a quick-fry kind of chapter. It's a long, slow break. Alright? In other words, we're going to take our time. You've got to marinate in Romans 8, and that rhymes. I didn't even know that until I just said it. That, is, that should be the title. Alright. Marinate. That's going to be our slogan, a goofy slogan churches love to come up with. Marinate in Romans 8. Alright. Wow. It's going to be hard for me to get over that one, all right? <laughs> but, it, but it is. You know, some foods are really uh, designed for a quick fry, right? Chicken nuggets, all right? In other words, you don't want to slow braise chicken, okay? Uh, it's going to be awful, okay? So if, if you ever have dry, tough chicken, that's a problem. It cooks too long. Now, but some things, though, you don't want to fry. You don't want to fry pork shoulder, okay? Unless you're going to be able to figure out how to fry it for 10 hours. All right, so you, there's some chuck roast, okay? Some things require a long, slow cook. I think Romans 8 requires that. Now, don't let that bother you. I'm not talking about being in Romans 8 until Christmas, okay? But we will be in it until Easter, okay? I, I'm just telling you now, we will. Now, that's not that long. Okay, don't groan. We're not that far away from it. April 1st is Easter, so we're not, we're not too far from it. Because again, I think, here's what, here's what happens in Romans 8. Here's why, why such accolades are laid upon it. Because now Paul takes, for what we've been doing for what, the last 14 months in Romans, Romans 1 through 7, Paul again now wraps all of that up in a pretty presence. And Paul takes all of that and really now brings it to bear. And he's, we've dealt with some really weighty, deep, profound theology 
Romans 8 is going to have plenty of that as well. But now, now really the beauty of the presentation of the gospel in the first seven chapters really begins to shine. Even the way Romans 7 ended. And then we spent a lot of time in this struggle with Paul of saying, on the one hand, I, I will to do good, but the, there's this other law at work that when I want to do good, evil is right there at, at, at my hand. And, and, I, and I want to do the right thing, but there's this war within me. The law of the flesh seems to win. It seems to win this battle. When I try and live righteously in and of myself, in my own power, then it is an utter and complete failure. Romans 8 shows us what it looks like to live a faithful Christian life in spite of the challenges we find. In spite of the potential conflicts to faith that we experience in our day-to-day lives. So again, Romans 8 is going to help us, I think, through this. And you've got to love, though, how Romans, not only does it help us with these issues, but I love the tone of assurance, the, the tone of confidence that rings throughout the chapter. That's why we began with verse 1 and ended with verses 38 and 39. Paul begins by saying, there's no condemnation, and he ends by saying, and nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus. So if you don't hear anything else, brother and or sister in Christ, if life has you by its teeth now, just know, That no matter what may be swirling in your life, in the gospel, there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. And there's nothing that will separate you from his love. And so Romans 8 fleshes all of this out for us. So here's here's what we're going to end up doing now for the next couple of minutes. This is not in your bulletin. All right? Um, You'll have to figure out a way to write this uh, in a different spot if you want to keep the following notes. I know. Oh, pastor, right? Making you work for it this morning. All right, but I do want to give you just kind of a flyover of Romans 8. And then we'll, we'll turn our attention to the first phrase of Romans 8.1. Okay? So this, again, we're setting the grill at 225 degrees and it's just going to cook. All right? Okay? There's, a, there's an old adage about barbecue. If you look in, you ain't cooking. All right? In other words, you've got to let it go. You've got to trust that it will end properly. Okay? So we're, that's what we're, we're doing. Except we are going to be doing looking, and it will be cooking. Okay, so Romans chapter 8. The chapter in and of itself is really one of hope. It's one of assurance. Uh, it's one of encouragement. It's Paul showing us then the sanctified life. Now that we've talked about the justified life, Here's what the process of sanctification can look like. And in particular, we've got this explosion on teaching about the Holy Spirit. About how now, as a believer, I have the indwelling power of the Spirit so that I can live as God has now saved me to live. Keep in mind, Paul Paul is making sure we're not going to slip into the error of legalism. The law can't save me, and the law can't make me like Christ. I, I can't earn God's righteousness by being good enough, and I can't keep the righteousness given to me by being good enough. Again, all of this is focused on, on how I can live righteous and obedient and obediently in this world when I understand the role of the Holy Spirit. And I think if, as we look at this chapter... 
I think we see that there are four realities of this in Romans 8. Four simple categories. And if you're going to read the chapter, this is how I'd recommend that you do it. All right? Take, take this outline and, and read your way through it over the next few weeks. Dare I say, memorize it? <gasps> Seriously, Pastor, I can't memorize anything. I don't believe that. I don't believe that for a minute. Some of you could sing to me all the lyrics of Stairway to Heaven. If you can do that, I promise you, you can memorize Romans chapter 8. And some of you won't admit that you could sing it. All right, But nonetheless, I think you could. So you can memorize Romans 8 if you'd like me to put it to music. I'll sing it for you. I mean, not right now, all right? I'll sing it for you. You can play that, and that'll be great, okay? So Romans chapter 8 then gives us these four realities that I think address all the big issues we face in life. First 11 verses, and we'll end up jumping into it just a little bit in a minute, uh, but it'll be, you know, lie and share next time. You are set free from sin. Paul begins by making it very clear that though we may find ourselves tempted to sin and losing the battle to temptation, he said this, we're not free from the presence and or power of sin. In other words, meaning it's, it's still a very real threat to us. Nonetheless, we have been set free from it. Verses 1-11 through 11 show how through the work of the Spirit, we are no longer bound to walk according to the flesh. We can now walk according to the Spirit. And Paul's going to lay out for us why that's the case. How the Gospel makes that possible. To live a life set free from sin. So, I mean, if your issue then that you're struggling with is that of sin, temptation, first 11 verses are going to help you with it. But maybe the issue that you're facing is one of assurance. In fact, maybe you found yourself in that difficult spot where you have gone the way of the demon on one side rather than the angel on the other. All right, Remember how we talked about that in Romans 7? If you have found yourself doing that very thing that you hate to do, what often is the very next response? Am I even saved? Maybe I'm not even a Christian how could a Christian do something like that, say something like that, think something like that? In verses 12 through 17, Paul is then going to build naturally off of what has happened to us through the gospel, through the work of the Spirit, and show how also through the Spirit we are given confirmation that we are sons of God. Now, ladies, those of you, you know, if you're a guest, uh, you may need to talk to people next to you after the service so they can confirm, I'm not the most politically correct guy. All right? Oddly enough, in a time and place where people think we are as enlightened as we've ever been about gender, we are as confused as we have ever been about gender. It's never been worse. People have never known less about the topic than they do now. Our culture has gotten dumber when it comes to this issue. All right? So I say that because I, I want you to stick with me. One of the greatest and most encouraging truths of the Bible, and you're just going to have to wait till we get there, if you, if you don't believe me, all right, is the fact that men and women are granted status as sons of God. 
All right? So you're, gonna, you're just going to have to wait because I know what you're thinking. Oh, come on. You should say sons and daughters. You should say men and women. All right? We need to be inclusive here. But I promise you, that will downplay the force of what Paul is going to say in these verses. The profound reality of the gospel is that we've all been made sons of God. And I promise you, if you stick with me, that's going to be a good thing. All right? Now, then the next section of Romans, maybe your issue is that of suffering. Maybe you wonder, how, if God's such a good and loving God, why is there evil in this world? Maybe you've struggled with your own pain. Maybe you've wondered, why doesn't God do something about fill in the blank? Romans 8, verses 18 through 30, provide us a profound look at the reality of suffering and God's solution for it. And I will tell you, as we get into these verses, man, there's some weighty stuff, all right? There is some deep, weighty, profound stuff. I mean words like foreknowledge and predestination. Whoa. Once again, if you're a guest, you may want people to tell you around you, I'm also not one to share what I think about things. All right? In other words, I, I, I will very... I, I will not hold back on what I think about these things, okay? And it, perhaps some of these items may disturb you, but I think really, it's only when you understand the theology of what Paul does, especially at the end of that text, that we really appreciate the solution for suffering is grounded in God's sovereign grace that he's been, uh, he's been enacting over the course of human history and will to the end, all right? Also, what we're going to do here, this, this should be some fun. Romans 8.28 is one of the most abused verses in all the Bible. It's on the list of verses. You know, I told you, I've got a sermon that has like 57 sermons in it, entitled, It Doesn't Mean That. All right? I haven't done this sermon series yet, but I've got verses that don't mean what people think they mean. And I would tell you that I think Romans 8.28 is often abused. Often abused. Uh, as almost like a platitude. It's almost like a trite little saying that somebody gives when somebody's going through suffering. Well, you know, all things work together for good to those who love God and live according to His purpose. So if you have ever recoiled in your heart when somebody said that to you when you were suffering, fear not, all right? We'll deal with what that verse is all about. We'll get, we'll get to that. And then finally, as we just read at the end of, of the final text, Paul, that, Paul then addresses this ultimate security of the believer. So he's already addressed the issue of assurance, that we can be sure that we are sons of God, but now he's going to address the issue of security, and it is this, the very clear teaching of Scripture is that those who are sons of God will forever remain sons of God. You never lose that status. You're always and forever a son of God. You can't go from being an enemy of God to being a son of God to going back to being an enemy of God. You can't go from being... Uh, under a children of wrath to now being under God's grace and then revert back to being under wrath. The work of salvation is an eternal work and genuine believers persevere to the end and this is the clear teaching of what we'll see in verses 31 through 38. All right, so that's Romans chapter 8. Some of you are thinking, wow, that's great. Can we move on now to Romans 9? No, we cannot, all right? Maybe you can tune out for the next six weeks, perhaps, all right, and think you've gotten it all, uh, but, but really perhaps not. So here, here's what we're now going to do uh, with the rest of our time. We're turning our attention to what is the main clause of Romans 8. 
In other words, what is the primary point? What is his, what is his key principle that he's sharing? And in all honesty, we won't even really get to the first point of the outline that's in your bulletin. Because first, we want to make sure that we understand exactly what verse 1 is saying. So Paul, in this opening section, uh, what, what he's going to do is he's going to address uh, how, how it is that, as a believer, I can live a faithful and obedient life given the fact that now I'm no longer in the flesh, but now I, I walk in the Spirit. Paul's going to show how it is that through the work of the Gospel and the law of the Spirit of life, I am now set free. Set free unto, unto holiness and faithfulness. Set free from, from sin and death. And, and Paul's going to give a bit of a recap here, but, but say it in a different way of some of the things he's already shared in Romans uh, and so this, this is going to be our focus in verses 1 through 11. But before we get to verses 2 through 11, let's make sure we understand how we begin. So, so chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now before I go on, guess what we get to do for the next, I don't know, two minutes. You ready? Textual criticism. Hold your applause. All right, just hold your applause until the end. Because some of you have a translation that the second phrase that I read is not in your first verse. All right? Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have an English Standard Version, if you have a New International Version, if you have a New American Standard Bible, it does not have what follows in the King James and New King James, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, really, we're, we're not going to get into all the details of this, but this is a problem that, that can... That can pop up as you read the Bible. In fact, the New King James has a textual note, has a note there in your margin, and says, this phrase is not found in the oldest and most reliable manuscripts. And somebody can read that and think, oh my goodness, that preacher keeps talking about how the Bible's inerrant and infallible and sufficient. How come we've got this deal going on here? Well, the, the, again, this, this deals with a, a kind of a difficult topic. It can get really complicated. But there can be a challenge in moving from what was the original Greek-Hebrew manuscripts, of which we don't have any, and how, how we get from the original Greek and Hebrew manuscripts to the translation you hold in your hand. The assumption is, and I think it's right, that the closer a manuscript is to that very first book of Romans, the closer it is, in other words, the older that manuscript is, the more likely it is to be accurate. Further away it is from the original writing of Romans, better chance that some monk somewhere in copying the text made a boo-boo, all right? That's not actually in textual criticism literature, that's just how I said it, all right? So sometimes they, there may be errors, what are called scribal errors. That's not, that's not a reflection on the Bible, it's a reflection on the copying process. So this can be really complicated, so here let me give you some assurance. One, there's nothing about this phrase that's wrong. In other words, it's right. What it says is right, and in fact, the exact phrase shows up again in verse 4, and we'll deal with it then. Okay? For, for now, I do think it is best to see that I think 
the rendering of verse 1 is, is best found, say, in the New American Standard, where, where the opening phrase is, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But understand, that second phrase that follows is only a phrase that means this is true for those who are in the Spirit and not in the flesh. In, in other words, you're not condemned if you truly are a believer in Christ. And the phrase, to do not walk in the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit, is just another way to describe the two kinds of people. Those who live their lives in rebellion to God, and those who live in submission to the Gospel. What really matters, though, is that first phrase. There is therefore now no condemnation. The word therefore, it's one of Paul's favorites, he loves to use this. Just moves his argument along. Sometimes the word therefore is there for a conclusion from the previous text. And in a sense, yes, what Paul is saying here in verse 1 follows naturally from what he said at the end of chapter 7 where where he has this this moment where he says, a wretched man that I am who's going to save me from this body of death. Uh, Thanks be to Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he comes back and says, so I have this in me, on the one hand, there's the law of the mind, and then there's the law of sin. And then he follows that by saying, therefore, there is now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. But really, I think it is better to see Paul's therefore as summing up the entirety of chapters 1-7. through seven. In other words, what he's going to do now is he's, not, he's now going to give us kind of the final summation, the final impact. Here's He's going to flesh out all of the details, not all the details, but at least the, the, the bringing of the gospel to bear on my life and all of these key issues, so everything that he said. And what is his primary point? And I love the language. There is now no condemnation. Now. At what point are you living? Are you living then? Are you living in the future? No, you are living Now. And what will happen when you get to tomorrow? Is tomorrow tomorrow? No, tomorrow will be now. You can talk about that over fried chicken, all right? So, when Paul uses the word now, this really is an important moment. So he's saying, look, the summation of everything that I've just said can be boiled down to this incredible principle. There is now, at this moment, as you live and breathe, no condemnation. How much condemnation? None. Oh, but Pastor, what about for that one? No, no condemnation. But there was that one. No, no condemnation. But just last night, I, no, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean that God just wants you to wallow in your sin. We've talked about that. And we'll talk more about that. But again, Paul is saying this is the fundamental principle of the gospel. The gospel being brought to bear on your life means this. That at this point, there is no, there's no amount of condemnation. And so the word condemnation, what a word, right? It, it, it bears a, kind of an, an emphasis that no other word does. I mean, even like the word judgment, or the word sentence, or the word imprison, these words don't bear the same force as condemned. You can think of it like this. What do we mean when we say that a house has been condemned? That doesn't mean it needs a little facelift, right? That doesn't mean there's a little 
tweaking that needs to be done. When a home is declared condemned, that means uninhabitable, unfit. And I can tell you right now, the city of Newburn would love to see some of those condemned homes, what? Taken down, right? You ever been by a condemned home? What happens a couple of weeks after it's been condemned? How about a couple of months after it's been condemned? How about a couple of years after it's been condemned, right? In other words, what can you do with a condemned house? Bulldoze it. So to be under condemnation is terrifying. Unbelievers. Unbelievers are under condemnation. Verse 1 does not apply to them. If verse 1 were to apply to them, verse 1 would then say, there is therefore now condemnation to those who are not in Christ Jesus. To be condemned biblically, theologically, this means you are under God's future destruction. It's a harsh term. It communicates, right? It's a graphic term. This is the nature of what life will be. I will will be under eternal banishment from God's presence. Uh, I will find myself destroyed by God. This, This is ultimate judgment. And so for Paul then to begin this whole thing by saying, especially after that whole struggle of verses 13 through 25 of chapter 7, for him now to jump out and say, there is therefore now no condemnation. This is what the gospel has done. By the way, I do think this is now a direct answer then to the problem that was presented to us in January of 2017 when we turned our attention to Romans 1.18. Paul begins his argument for the gospel after giving us that intro, the first 17 verses. Paul then begins the heart of his argument for the gospel by first drawing attention to our sin condition. And how does Romans, in essence, open in verse 18? The wrath of God has been revealed against all unrighteousness. So this is the problem. If I never get out of verse 18, then that is my life. And Romans is all about getting me out of verse 18 of chapter 1 so that I can get to verse 1 of chapter 8. Because these are profound then bookends. The wrath of God is being revealed against all mankind because they know that there is a God, but they suppress the truth of God in their heart. They go after their flesh. And and now what, what is the solution to this? The solution is not found in my good works. The solution is not found in the law. The solution is not found in me doing better things than doing worse things than having some kind of scale where I'm better than I am bad, that there's, there's no solution to my problem if God doesn't intervene. That's Romans 1-7. Showing us how God in Christ has intervened so that now I've been brought out from under the wrath of God and now I stand as one no longer condemned. No longer condemned. I'm no longer set apart under destruction. And the rest of this is going, to, is going to describe for us now how we've been set apart unto life. We've been set apart unto hope, unto assurance, unto faith. 
rest of Romans chapter 8 is going to show what are the profound ramifications of that main principle idea. How, how did that happen? Why should I care about that? How does that help me in my fight against sin? How does that help me in dealing with my assurance issues? How does that help me in dealing with suffering? How does that help me in dealing with security? In other words, Romans 8.1 is, is the primary thrust that, that summarizes the first seven chapters and then drives us into the rest of the chapter. And Paul, Paul is going to lay out then for us what are the profound ramifications of that one verse. There is therefore now no condemnation. Again, we'd miss the point if we don't at least add that one last little phrase. There's now no condemnation to those and only those who are in Christ Jesus. Every other path, every other religion, every other way, every other human attempt to deal with unrighteousness, puts me in the opposite of Romans 8.1. There is now condemnation for those who are not in Christ Jesus. The only solution is Jesus and His Gospel. The only solution is Christ crucified and resurrected. The only solution for my sin problem, the only solution for my ongoing struggles with sin, the only solution for my suffering, the only solution for my problems with security in life, the only solution is only ever going to be the gospel. And this is why you can never hear the gospel preached too much. We can never get too much of the gospel. We never go beyond the gospel. At the end of the day, what you still need is Christ crucified, resurrected. This, this is how... This is how the beauty of the gospel then is brought to bear on our lives when we each and every day find ourselves at the foot of that cross. There's no condemnation for you. If you are in Christ, you've trusted Christ as your Savior, the beautiful benefit of the gospel is you are no longer condemned. Eternal life is yours. Forgiveness of sin, at what point? Now. Now. So as we have a time of response, and as we're going to sing one of the great hymns uh, of the Christian faith, once again, you know, sing what is the great glory and beauty of the gospel, and, and what, what God has done for us in, in, in His amazing love for us. I, I have an appeal to two people, then. Same appeal I make every week. First, if you were here today, and, and you, you would say, I'm not a believer, or you'd say, I'm not really sure. Understand, everything that we've said does not apply to you. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not trying to be difficult. As I, as I say often, this is not my message. I, I am not an owner of the message. I'm not a creator of the message. I'm merely a steward of the message. And the message from God's Word is that those who are not in Christ are set for destruction. But you don't have to be. Because the promise of the Gospel that those who confess their sin, confess Jesus died and rose from the dead, and ask God to forgive based on Christ and Christ alone, placing your faith in Him and Him alone, not in your own works, not in your own goodness, but trusting in Christ all in all can be saved.
that you can be those who move from condemnation to no condemnation. And if you want to know more about that, I'll be down front if you'd like to hear more about this gospel. I'll be down front after the service is over, too, if you'd like a longer conversation. This, this is indeed the first step maybe somebody here might need to take. To the believer, first, I just, I just want God's word to wash over you. I just, want, I just want the blessing of what is the truth of the gospel, because a lot of Romans has been hard, hasn't it? You've got to stick with Romans. Romans delivers, but it takes a while. The truth is, yes, we are, we are sinners and in need of grace. The good news, though, for you is that there is grace, and if you're a believer, you've received it. You've received all the grace you need for all the sins you've ever committed, will commit, are committing, whatever the case may be. God's grace has, is, and will cover you. You're no longer condemned. However, you may still feel the burden of regret. You may still look back and think, why did I do that? I can't believe I did that. Now, there still can be a struggle with that. Perhaps what you need to do is just come. Maybe you want to kneel here and pray. Maybe you'd like me to pray with you. Maybe there's been that weight of sin hanging around your neck. Sin that Jesus has forgiven. And you need to trust it again to the cross of Christ. How will you respond to the word that the Spirit brings us to bear on your life? Let's pray together. Gracious and loving God, we do thank you for gathering us here today. We thank you for this word. We thank you for the hope of the gospel in Christ Jesus. We thank you for how you, by your Spirit, Bring that word to bear on our lives. We thank you there's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And Father, I pray that you by your spirit then would continue to bring this word to bear on our lives. That you would do what needs to be done in us as we respond to your word in submission and obedience and in trust. And that you would use this opportunity to continue to make us like Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.